What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is episode 257 of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. And you can follow our social pages on Twitter and Facebook for the latest updates. Uh, Great to be back this week. I want to, uh, again, say thanks to everyone uh, who submitted questions for the mailbag last week. It was a great mailbag, got a lot of really good questions. Uh, Always fun to to do that. So um, I will just say, just in general, um, for the listeners, anytime you have any questions, you know, you can shoot them, shoot them to me, um, and I can address them on one of these or a mailbag. Um, but always appreciate, um, you know, anything and anything to, to talk about. So, um, may have noticed no guest Friday this week, uh, but we will be back next week. Uh, Matt Blue will return, uh, to the program to do a, uh, like NBA draft preview, you know, may get into some off-season stuff as well. Uh, so we'll look forward to that uh, next week. But for the here and now, uh, we'll get into it. Uh, I got some Red Sox, a lot of thoughts uh, after the weekend series in New York. Pretty successful uh, weekend, so some thoughts there. Uh, Revolution thoughts. Reds got back on track with a good win over the weekend against the uh, Lionel Messi-less Inter-Miami um, so that was a good win for them. Then some um, off-season thoughts on the Patriots and the Celtics. Uh, then we got some updates from around uh, the multitude of leagues. Give you an update on the Stanley Cup Finals and the NBA Finals. So I think we're going to get into the Red Sox first. Um, clearly a, you know, successful weekend for the team. You know, I think coming into it, you know, a lot of just kind of not sure about where this team was going and I think you know as good as this weekend was winning two out of three um, against a division rival you know one of the teams that you're you know chasing in your division doesn't really seem like a lot has changed you know I think going three and three over this road trip you know losing twice in Cleveland and then losing on Saturday against the Yankees you know winning three two of them in New York you know I think you could think that this series this weekend, you know, can, you know, hopefully catapult them, you know, make them feel good about taking a series against a pretty good team. You know, I think a team that, you know, you're going to be, you know, battling with all season the first time, actually, that the Red Sox played the Yankees this season. So I would say for the most part, it was a pretty good series. You know, I think always the concern with this team Um, this year, at least coming out of spring training was how are they going to pitch? You know, are they going to be able to get consistent pitching, which in the month of June, it's been pretty good. You know, I think that ERA is for the starters, at least the ERA is just over four, you know, which is pretty solid. It was 5.28 in the first two months of the season. So, you know, that was, uh, according to Peter Abraham in the globe this morning, Um, that the starting pitching has actually been pretty good over the last couple of weeks. Um, And I don't think has been much of the issue with this team lately. And I think, you know, it's clear going through, you know, a three-game series, scoring seven runs, typically you don't win two games. You know, I think typically 
with the, that with that few amount of runs, you probably don't win two. You're probably lucky to win one. So I think, you know, the starting pitching has been very good, very consistent. Um, you know, I think Garrett Whitlock pitched very well on Friday. Um, I was really impressed with Tanner Houck on Saturday, you know, unfortunately in the loss. But I think the way that he pitched gave the Red Sox a chance to win. So, you know, he's always someone that I think has had his issues the later he goes into starts. But I thought, you know, for, for all of his warts as a starter, he was pretty good in this game. You know, went six innings, gave up two runs. And I think most days that's good enough to win. You know, but I think you look at this team and the way that they're really struggling with guys on base, guys and runners and score, guys with runners in scoring position. You know, it's you're putting a lot of strain on the pitching staff, and I think you know we talked about that last week that that's not really a good recipe. You know, I think if your starters are continuing to pitch well, you want to get a decent amount of run supports. So you don't feel like you know, the starters are doing everything they can to keep the team in the game because this team, we've seen them be a pretty good offensive team, you know, but it just seems like for whatever reason, it's kind of just gone cold. Um, it was great to see Adam Duvall return to the lineup this weekend, you know, get back into the swing of things. So, you know, hopefully that kind of helps out a little bit. But I have to say, winning last night's game, I think, could do a huge amount of good for this team you know I think taking a series against a team that's better than you on the road you know winning in extra innings in a game that you again got really good starting pitching Brian Bayo in my opinion outside of Chris Sale over the last couple of weeks you know obviously he's on the injured list and we'll talk about that in a moment but I think Bayo has really started to come into his own over the last couple of weeks um, pitched outstanding last night with seven innings, three hits, two earned runs, a um, couple walks, didn't, only struck out three guys. But you look at his game logs over the last couple of months or the last couple of weeks, it's been really good. He has gone, just do some quick math here, or if I do some quick, just looking at this, he has... There's only been one start this season that he's given up more than three runs. So if you look at the last eight, the last nine starts, including last night's game, or yes, the last nine starts, including last night's game, eight of those games, eight of those starts, he's given up fewer than, or he's given up two runs or less. You know, not always pitching deep into games. You know, has a couple of these games where he pitches five innings. Um, but I think recently, the last two starts in particular, you know, went seven innings, went six innings, went seven innings against L.A. a couple weeks ago. You know, he's really been performing very, very well. Um, you know, three and four in the season, unfortunately, doesn't get a decision last night. But I have to say that, you know, over the last two months, he's been excellent. You know, 346 ERA in the two starts this month in May, 2.67 ERA. So I think, you know, he's started to, again, come into his own. And I think starting to be
become the starting pitcher that I think we all think that he's capable of being. And I think that, you know, his team really needs it. You know, I think really with the, you know, devastating injury to Chris Sale um, and just kind of the strain that it puts on the entire roster, you know, he's a guy that I think really the Red Sox can maybe start to lean on a little bit. You know, if Hauk is starting to figure things out, if, you know, Whitlock is back and starting to pitch well, you know, Paxton, really like what I've seen from him. Does this team need more depth at the starting pitching spot? Absolutely. You know, especially if Sale is going to miss two months or whatever it is, you know, 60 days. You know, they're going to need all the starting pitching that they can get. But I think if this team can, you know, get back on track offensively, get back to the team that they were in the first couple months, you know, there's really an opportunity here that they could get on a run and you know, really kind of start to make some noise again in the American League. And I know that it's, you know, try to be optimistic here. And it's hard because I don't think that, you know, as much as this may have been a good emotional series win, it's kind of hard to know if this is going to carry over because it seems like they've had series like this in the last couple of weeks. And then it just all comes crashing down. You know, I think perfect example is the series against San Diego. You know, taking two out of three and then going to Los Angeles, losing three straight. You know, and then taking two out of three against a good Arizona team. And then coming home, dropping two against Cincinnati. You know, and then losing three in a row to Tampa Bay. That it's like, it seems like each time they kind of get back on track a little bit, there's a bit of a slide. But I do think that, you know, looking at this Colorado team that comes into Fenway tonight, this is not a good team. This is a team that's not a very good pitching team. And I think that the Red Sox looking at, you know, Paxton tonight, Whitlock on Wednesday, Crawford going on Tuesday, it's a good opportunity for the Red Sox to get back on track offensively. Connor Seabald actually former Red Sox pitcher, um, is on the bump for Colorado tonight. So, you know, I think this series is a huge opportunity for the offense to kind of get, get going. Um, you know, I think that they did the best they could this weekend, you know, with the low scoring games and winning a couple of those games. But this is a team that needs to get back to, you know, winning games with the offense and not saying that the offense has to be back and the pitching can be bad again, but it's like you look at how good and solid the pitching's been. You know, the Red Sox have lost games recently, but I don't really think it's a lot to do with their pitching. You know, so I think again, it's a big opportunity. And then you got the Yankees back in this weekend who you bet they're going to be motivated, you know, to beat you after you went into their place and won. Um, but it's like, this is a big stretch because, you know, you get the Yankees, but then you get a, a road trip again. You're going to the American League Central, play Minnesota, play Chicago. Two teams that, you know, are not very good. And so it's like, you use that momentum against the Yankees. You play, you know, three of your next four series against fairly inferior opponents. You know, you have a chance here. And I think 
you know, yes, last place, 500 record is not great, but they're four games out of the wild card. That's not anything crazy. You know, we're 66 games in. We're about 100 games left. There's still a lot of baseball, and I do think that, you know, getting Duvall back hopefully helps their offense. They can get back a little bit of health um, in that area. You know, Arroyo's been back. Not that he's like the thing that's going to change everything, but I do think this team getting healthy with their starting lineup, you know, is really important. I'm curious about Yu Chang's progress. It seems like he was working on a rehab assignment in Worcester, and that's kind of, I think there's a little bit of a a bump in the road there, so I'm sure about when he comes back, but I think, you know, you try to see if you can get Devers to continue to be back on track. I seem like he, it seemed like he had a good series in New York this weekend with a couple of home runs. So, you know, you hope that Casas can continue to get on base, you know, continue to up that batting average. Um, you continue to get timely hits. Um, you can maybe see if you can start hitting with runners in scoring position um, because that's the biggest thing. If the Red Sox can start hitting in, start hitting better situationally, I think that it's really going to take care of itself. And I know that that's wildly optimistic with a team that's a 500 team, but, you know, it's, it's, it's not crazy. I think that for the team to be competitive, it's possible. And it's right there. And I think that it could start this weekend or this week playing against a Colorado team that's, you know, you look at them as a team. They're one of the worst pitching teams in the majors. Um, 28th in earned run average, uh, tied for 25th in quality starts, 29th in batting average against, 29th in walks and hits per innings pitched. So, you know, it's, 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 it's a team coming in here that the Red Sox, you know, should be able to take advantage of. Um, but then again, that's easier said than done because we have seen this team, you know, have good series and then followed up with bad series. So, you know, you hope the Red Sox don't take anything for granted. Um, but I do think that there's a big opportunity for this team to get back on track and, you know, firmly get into the playoff chase. You know, I know it sounds crazy because they're in last place, but they're only four games out of the wild card. You know, that is not insurmountable. And so I think the team can continue to be positive about where they are, but know that there is work to do, but have the, the mindset that, you know, the hitting will start to turn around because it is a long season. You know, you go through ebbs and flows with, hitting you go through ebbs and flows of pitching you know the pitching is at a spot where it's really solid right now the bats aren't you know that needs to you need to have both things working you know in concert if you are going to be a good competitive ball club so we'll see what happens really interested to see uh, James Paxton tonight see if he continues to have the good start that he's having you know obviously it's Tough losing Chris Sale. You know, I think that you feel for a guy like that who I think has had all these injuries and it's just, it doesn't really seem like it's fair. And I think that, you know, he's a guy that just 
wants to play, you know, and is so passionate about the game. And, you know, it just is really frustrating that we continue to have these moments where, you know, things are going well, themes, things seem to have turned a corner. And it really seemed like that with him over the last couple of weeks, that he was returning to kind of be that number one starter. Um, and it just is too bad that you have another injury thing creep up. Um, but I think on the other hand, you would hope that the Red Sox could have done a better job this offseason, you know, in bringing in possibly another pitcher, you know. I'm not going to sit here and talk about Nathan Evaldi or Michael Waka because, they're, well, Evaldi specifically, I didn't think that, you know, I don't know what happened there, but it kind of seemed like he didn't want to come back, that he took you know, money to go elsewhere. The Red Sox offered him something, you know, and he didn't take it. So, you know, yeah, it would have been nice to have him back. Would have been nice to have Michael Walker back, you know, but the pitching staff is what it is. And I do think that, you know, Brian Bayo in particular has picked it up recently and has really become kind of a, you know, consistent starter. So we'll see, you know, what happens closer to the trade deadline, because I do think that there could absolutely be a possibility that this team could add, you know, a starting a pitcher, a good quality starting pitcher, you know, assuming that the team is in a position uh, to be, to be buyers at the trade deadline. You know, obviously it's about a month and a half away. It's still a, a ways to go, but I think if they continue to stay relatively in contention, if they get more into contention, certainly I think that they will be looking to acquire um, another starting pitcher because I think as good as the pitching has been, it's kind of one injury away from, you know, becoming kind of a a larger problem, you know, and I think that they do need that that pitching depth. But, you know, fingers crossed that they can stay relatively healthy over the next two months. And then Sale can come back and hopefully, you know, pitch this team into the playoffs. You know, we'll see. But big week coming up for the Sox. Three-game set against the Rockies. Then the Yankees will come in this weekend to play three games. So I think that's going to do it for the Red Sox. We're going to move on. Talk about the uh, revolution. Yes, they are kind of a leading team in the pod- on the podcast today. Uh, the Revs getting back on track uh, with a really solid 3-1 win over Miami on Saturday. It was a really solid home win for a team that I think really was looking for um, some consistency. Uh, so it was really solid to see, really good to see. You know, good goals from Bobby Wood, Carlos Hill, Matt Polster also got on the scoreboard. Uh, the Revs were really in control the entire game. So I think it's just exactly what exactly what they needed, you know, having that uh, winless stretch of a bunch of uh, losses and ties. Let's just take a quick look at what that was. You know, they had not won an MLS game. They had not won an MLS game since the beginning of May. You know, had beaten Toronto 2-0 and then had couple losses, couple ties, um, but it was good to see that the offense could kind of come back to life a little bit. 
with Carlos Hill getting a goal, getting a couple of assists, you know, Bobby Wood continues to just be a great um, addition to this team. You know, I think that said it time and again, I really wasn't sure what to expect from him this season, but he's been excellent. You know, I think other than Carlos Heel, he's been their best offensive player. So it was good to see him get back on the scoreboard. Good to see um, Gustavo Bo get into a game this weekend. You know, I think ended up, I think did start the game. I think did get subbed out at one point. Um, but I think good to see him get his legs under him a little bit to have him play uh, some minutes. You know, kind of curious to see about, you know, Frioni and, you know, the thought process behind getting him some more games. You know, we talked about that last week. So, you know, pleased to see him come in as a substitute. But I think that they really kind of need that second or, well, third, maybe you could say, you know, with the way that Heal and Bobby Wood are scoring goals. They do kind of need that consistent third piece. You know, whether that's Gustavo Bo, whether that's Frioni, whether that's Josie Altador, you know, I kind of have my reservations about Josie. Um, and just the fact that he doesn't play a whole lot of minutes, and I don't know, it just seems like he doesn't make too much of an impact. Um, you know, and I think hopefully getting Bo and Frioni into the lineup, get them used to playing, you know, can help them. You know, I think the defense is pretty solid in this game, you know. Inter-Miami didn't really get too many chances. Um, did score on a penalty kick after really a, a poor decision by Andrew Farrell with the you know, yellow card um, that gave them a penalty kick. But I thought otherwise, it was a really solid game from the team. Uh, it was good to see Polster get on the board. Um, he's a guy that's really kind of been an unsung hero in the, mid in, in the middle for this team. You know, never going to be a guy that's going to get the headlines like Heal and Wood and Gustavo Bo, you know, the guys who will score goals. Um, but I think that he plays a really, really solid game. So I think, you know, hopefully this win on Saturday can kind of catapult the revs to be a little bit more consistent in the attacking half. You know, it's great that they're going to be home for the next two games. You know, have a game against Orlando City and then Toronto. The following weeks, Orlando City is this Saturday, Toronto the following. So the Revs, I think, really have an opportunity to, you know, solidify their position in the East, try to get more of an attacking rhythm going, because they are going to have some, you know, tough challenges in the month of July um, with a game against Cincinnati, a couple home games um, against Atlanta and D.C. United, so... You know, you hope that the, the the momentum that they built, you know, in the attacking half can continue. Um, because as much as they've had a good start to the season, you know, other teams in the MLS, especially in the East, are starting to kind of build up their games as well. And so the Reds are starting to see the standings become a little bit more compact. You know, they only have a two-goal, a two-point lead over Atlanta uh, for fourth place at the moment. They're even with Philadelphia um, in points, and they're two points behind Nashville, but then 10 points behind FC Cincinnati, who's only lost uh, one game this season. They've been off to an incredible start. Um, but I think, you know, it's good that the Revs could go through that winless stretch 
and be able to get some points. You know, I know obviously it's not ideal. You want to try to win every game you play. But I think, you know, obviously losing games is worse. But I thought that the Revs had done kind of a decent job of building back up their game, you know, with a couple draws. Um, and then that draw against NYC in which I thought they played really well defensively. And I thought they kind of continued against Miami. So you hope that that can continue. Can You hope that, you know, they continue to get quality chances in the attacking half. They continue to bury those chances, you know, taking advantage of the great season that Carlos Hill is having, the great season that, you know, Bobby Wood is having. So, you know, you hope that Freoni and Bo can kind of get back on track, start to see them score some goals. So, overall, I think a really solid win for the Revs this weekend. We'll see if that continues on Saturday. Revs are back at Gillette against Orlando City on Saturday night. So I think that's going to do it for the Revs. I'm going to get over to talking a little bit about the Celtics who have added uh, to their coaching staff. Obviously, we talked about uh, Sam Cassell last week, and the Celtics made another addition on uh, late Sunday morning coming to terms or, or finalizing a deal to hire uh, Milwaukee Bucks assistant Charles Lee as their lead assistant coach. He actually um, had been the associate head coach for the Bucks last season um, and was, I think, a potential, potential or was a finalist um, for head coaching, for head coaching search in Toronto. Toronto hired their coach, um, and so we came back to the Celtics, who I think it was reported that they had been targeting him. I think it was a couple of weeks ago, but clearly with the Raptors going a different direction, he became, you know, a possibility for the Celtics. So uh, a little bit more about Charles Lee. He had been an assistant uh, for Mike Budenholzer the past nine seasons, uh, four with the Bucks, and then previously with the Hawks. And I think was, uh, and this was interesting, I noticed this, or I think this was, I think it was reported yesterday that he actually was a name that the Celtics were looking at uh, when they hired Ime Udoka initially. So, you know, kind of means that maybe there's some familiarity there with him. But I think this is a great pick. You know, I think that uh, clearly someone that's been a longtime assistant and been a longtime assistant with one of the best teams um, in the NBA with the Bucks. you know, obviously part of the championship winning staff a couple of years ago. Um, but I think that, you know, getting now, you know, a second really good assistant, you know, is only going to be a positive thing for this team. Now, I don't know what, you know, systematically might change. You know, does this mean that they're going to start doing things differently on offense and defense? You know, hard to know. Uh, but I do think that, you know, this kind of being one of their big priorities this summer, you know, is to fill out the coaching staff, bring in an experienced assistant, bring in an experienced, you know, former NBA player. You know, I think that they really knocked it out of the park on both fronts. You know, I think that out of the two, out of like possible candidates, these are probably the best two candidates that they could possibly you know, bring in. Now, I don't know how they'll fill out the rest of the staff. You know, that kind of will be 
I don't want to say not important, but I do think that, you know, these kind of were the main important hires that the Celtics wanted to get done. So, you know, this is great. You know, I think that the difference, I think, being a top assistant, which is what Charles Lee will be, I think that he just gets paid more. I think that that's what it means, you know. Clearly, he'll be kind of Joe's, you know, right-hand man, but I don't think it means that, you know, Sam Cassell's addition is not as important because I think it's just as important. I think just because, and I talked about this last week, you know, just having a former player, a guy who's been through the battles and a guy who's won multiple championships, you know, knows what it takes to win. And I just think that, you know, this is a Celtics team that I think needs just a little bit more oomph, you know, for them to be a championship team. Because I think, you know, all too often it's, too easy for them to play with big leads, you know, and they don't continue to keep their foot on the gas and they have issues, you know, with late game execution. So, you know, I think the hope is with both of these guys, they can help kind of improve those situations and, you know, hopefully get this team's defensive identity back. Because I think that was one of the the issues for this team, you know, that I think they became more of an offensive team and a defensive team. Now, I don't know why that happened. You know, it could be that, you know, changing all these coaches and, you know, not having as much of an emphasis on defense, you know, hurt them. That's possible. But I think, you know, it's 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 only a positive bringing in these two guys. It'll be interesting to see how they fill out the rest of the roster. But I think that it will be interesting to see if anything changes you know, stylistically, offensively, do they continue to be a team that shoots the three at a heavy percentage? You know, are they going to change things they do defensively? Because they do think as much as, you know, changing some coaches helps. It might be, you know, something that they try to address personnel-wise. Um, the other bit of Celtics news, Grant Williams underwent left-hand surgery a couple days ago, uh, which I thought was kind of interesting. You know, it didn't seem like he was, you know, injured really at all. So that'll be kind of curious to see if that affects his free agent market. You know, I still am of the belief that I don't know if Grant's going to get, like, offered that much money. You know, it could be possible that someone like Orlando, you know, gives him 20 million a year and he can't possibly say no to that but I guess I'm going to be surprised like I think that he comes back um, but I'm curious if this surgery does affect how teams look at him now I think the report was um, he will be expected to be ready for training camp um, but you know I don't think that this had anything to do with his uh, lack of playing time um, because he continued to play, obviously played through the injury, you know, clearly didn't play a lot in the Hawks series, played a good amount in the Sixers series. So, you know, kind of curious about that, um, because apparently, according to this report from Adrian Wojnarowski, uh, Grant had hurt the hand in March, um, continued to play with the injury, um, and expected to make a full return in six to eight weeks. So I think that's plenty of time for the start of the season. So 
you know, I do think that they bring him back. I think it would be a smart move on the Celtics part. I just think, you know, yes, Grant tries to do too much offensively. You know, you hope that the new coaching staff can, you know, drill into him that they want his game to be a little bit more simplified. Um, but it's like, he is a good defender. You know, you saw what he did in the playoffs two years, last year, you know, defending Durant, defending Giannis, you know, defending some of those, you know, star players. And I think did a good job. So I think that he does return. I don't think it's going to be as much as 20 million a year. If I had to guess, I think it would be around 16, you know, four years, 64 million, something like that, which I think is very reasonable for the player that he is. You would hope that he gets an uptick in playing time with Al being older, with Rob Williams, obviously having the, you know, injury concerns that he seemingly always has. You know, you hope that he can get through the offseason healthy, get back, you know, get back some of the bounce. Um, and I also think the return of Gallinari or the addition of Gallinari, assuming that he's back and doesn't get traded, I think can help their front court depth as well. Um, but I think that I am curious to see how the next few weeks go up until the draft. You know, Celtics have the 35th pick. I think it's pretty clear that Pete Pritchard does want to be traded. So I think that, you know, could that have, could that happen at the draft? Possibly, you know, do they trade Pritchard in the pick? Do they try to move up? You know, that could be kind of interesting to watch. Um, and then, you know, whoever they pick in the draft, you know, good chance you get to see them um, in the summer league. And then you'll get to see, you know, some of the other overseas guys that the Celtics have drafted over the years. So it'd probably be good to check in on their progress um, at the summer league. But I don't think that there's uh, really any other uh, Celtics news. But obviously we'll continue to update you as the Celtics uh, fill out the rest of their, you know, coaching staff. Um, I did want to mention that next week, I think it's the 20th. Um, that's the day that, or I think it's a, it's some deadline for um, Gallinari that I think that's the deadline to opt into his player option, I believe. Um, so that'll be kind of interesting to watch, but Personally, I do expect that he's back, or he's, you know, don't want to say back because he didn't play for them this past season, but um, I think that he'll be on this team, and I think will really help them out in terms of giving them another shooter that can space the floor, um, giving them a big that can maybe, you know, start some games here and there, take a, take a little bit of the pressure um, off of Al Horford on back-to-backs, you know, things like that, so... I think we're going to move on and talk a little uh, Patriots. Uh, the off-season team activity is obviously in full swing. Mandatory minicamp um, actually starts today. I have a little practice this morning, I think, in a little in a little while. So I think, you know, a lot of positivity, I think, coming out of this team specifically offensively. You know, Mac Jones seems to be really focused and you know, locked in, there really seems to be this great connection between, you know, Bill O'Brien and the offense. And I think, you know, as, as someone had asked on the mailbag last week, you know, 
will they be able to kind of hit the ground running? And I think that they will. You know, I think that, you know, this team is going to be motivated by the way the last season went, you know, and knowing the the issues that they had offensively. And I think just kind of cleaning that up, you know, making it clear that, okay, we know who's, you know, calling the plays, I guess, you know, having it clear that, okay, it's Bill O'Brien's offense and, you know, it's clear what he wants from certain guys. So, you know, I think that it's a good sign that, you know, there's positivity, you know, the things that Kendrick Bourne is saying, you know, focused on, you know, having a bounce back season, you know, Mike Gesicki saying some really positive things. Um, and I think just seeing the guys on offense be comfortable, I think is the biggest thing. So I think, you know, obviously it's not, you don't get to see the entire team um, because those, you know, workouts are, are voluntary. Um, but obviously with the mandatory minicamp, you should expect to see some more guys get into games um, or get into practices. Um it had sounded like from a report from Mike Reese last week that Juju Smith-Schuster is working his way back from a knee injury that he suffered in the NFC, AFC Championship. Um, and so they're kind of bringing him along slowly. Tyquan Thornton had some kind of soft tissue injury. Um, and so I think that was why he hadn't been seen as much recently. You know, was looked good in those first couple of practices. Um and so I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see some things to pay attention to with the mandatory minicamp, you know, where there were, where they're working certain guys. Um, you know, Trent Brown, is he going to be back at camp? Because that seemed like a concern that he was not at the, any of the voluntary practices. You know, you saw a lot of Riley Reef and uh, Calvin Anderson, you know, as the tackles. Reef on the right, Anderson on the left. So it'd be interesting to see if Brown does return for the mandatory mini camps um, and see see what happens there. Um, also, the big news: uh, DeAndre Hopkins will be visiting the Patriots at some point this week. So that will be very interesting to see. You know how that turns out. It sounded like he had had a visit with the Titans. Um, don't think it's been announced any other teams that he's visiting, but, you know, the Patriots are really involved. And I think, you know, clearly <laughs> everyone kind of keeps referencing the clip from Hard Knocks, you know, with Belichick and Hopkins. Um, and I think, you know, when we talked about this last week, I think the Patriots are in a position where they can kind of offer him the most money in, you know, in comparison to the other teams. Um, and I do think that the relationship with Bill O'Brien does, absolute, does absolutely play a factor. You know, yeah, maybe they didn't exactly get along toward the end of the relationship, but I do think that it's clear that, you know, when he played for Bill O'Brien, he was really, really good. Played six seasons under Bill O'Brien as, as the offensive coordinator in Houston, was the All-Pro three times. So I think, you know, that coupled with, you know, him and Belichick having 
whatever relationship it is, you know, I think that um, it gives them a really good chance. And I think that, you know, yes, he's not the guy that he used to be. He's not the guy he used to be in Houston. But clearly, you know, the, the year that he had last year in only, I think it was at nine games, because he missed some games of suspension, or only played 10 games last year, you know, 64 catches, 717 yards, and three touchdowns. I mean, you look at those numbers, that's probably near the top of, that's probably near being a leading receiver for the Patriots last year. So I think, you know, even if he does that, that's good enough. It just gives this team another, you know, kind of a red zone weapon, kind of a, I want to say legitimate receiver. I shouldn't say it like that, but I think, you know, now gives the defense, defenses that are playing the Patriots, you know, extra reason to have to pay attention to a certain guy on the field, which, you know, opens up the field for other guys, which I think really could be the biggest the biggest uh, positive that could come out of him joining the team that, you know, yes, his numbers could be good, but his ability to, you know, draw extra defenders may open up the field for other receivers, other tight ends, um, and what have you. So I think it would be a good fit. You know, I think that the only concerns are the, you know, whatever, whatever the, the rumors are about him not practicing or not practicing as much. You know, we know how much Bill Belichick emphasizes that. And, you know, he's not going to change the way he does things because of one player. So, you know, I think that there is reason to believe that Hopkins could be, you know, motivated, you know, realizing that he is, um, I think, 31 years old. And, you know, that, you know, this is his third, yeah, third team. You know, and I think that the things that he was saying on that podcast that, you know, he wants some stability in the front office. And, you know, I think that there's reason to believe he can be motivated to, you know, be a regular participant in practice. That's not really something that concerns me. You know, I think that it's, you know, something that they can they can work with. And um, I think that he will be motivated, play with Bill O'Brien, play with Mac Jones and play for an organization that I think a lot of people are sleeping on. So, you know, I don't think it's a done deal that he's definitely joining the Patriots, but I think that they have a really real chance, you know, clearly with the free agent visit, they're clearly, you know, going to be in the running for, for this, for this particular player, which I think really would help improve their offense and really give them another added element uh, to the passing attack. So I think, yeah, those were the two things I wanted to touch on, you know, the OTAs and then DeAndre Hopkins. So I think, I don't think that there's any Bruin stuff going on. Um, obviously, prospect development camp um, is in a couple weeks, first week of July. We'll have some of the younger players in the Bruins system um, and probably the draft picks, um, any any players that they draft um, in the upcoming draft, which I believe is at the end of the month. You know, we kind of took a big look at their roster last week and through the um, guest, not the uh, guest, the, the uh, mailbag questions. So let me just do a quick look 
at the uh, team's page just to make sure I'm not missing anything. Um, Sweeney's a finalist for NHL GM of the year, which you know I think makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, I think it's just the guys who are finalists for for trophies. I mean, the Bruins are going to be very well represented at the um, NHL awards. You know, Sweeney up for GM of the year, Pasternak up for MVP, Olmark up for uh, Vesna, uh, Montgomery up for Jack Adams, Bergeron for Selke. Selke, um, and then I think Olmark and Swayman actually are going to win the, um, I want to say that there's some award for like the fewest goals allowed or like best save percent or something like that. Um, but I think that Olmark and Swayman will win that because that's like a statistical award. Gosh, why can't I? I think it's the Jennings Trophy. I want to say, but I don't know if that will get awarded at the NHL awards at the end of the, at the end of the month. But I think, yeah, you know, that's probably it for the, for the Boston teams get into some uh, thoughts from the NBA finals. Well, actually, no, we'll start Stanley Cup finals. We'll talk about that. Uh, Vegas and Florida, couple wins over the weekend for Vegas. Um, as they go up three games to one, uh, winning both games in Florida, or actually now splitting in Florida. Uh, Florida had won. Florida had won game three um, in overtime. That was a kind of a crazy, kind of a crazy game there, um, with the Panthers making the comeback, uh, with Kachuk tying the game late in the third, and then Verhage getting the win. In overtime, it's pretty crazy that this team um, is seven and zero in the play in the in overtime in the playoffs. You know, it's kind of just one of those runs. But I think you know the Golden Knights are just a better team. You know, I think that it's you know it's it's frustrating on one end because I think that Vegas is you know outside of the Bruins coming into the playoffs, we're the second most talented team, and I think. You know, you know. Ironically, they're in the same position the Bruins were in. You know, up three games to one, going home with a chance to close it out. You know, and I think could Florida tap into what it did in the first round? That's possible. But I think looking at the way that Kachuk didn't really seem himself in Game Five, you know, laboring with whatever potential injury he had, you know, just couldn't really make as much of an impact as he had made, you know, earlier in the series. But I just think Vegas is the more professional team. They've been the best team in this series, you know, except for a couple minutes. You know, I think Florida was able to salvage that game three. But it's like if Kachuk doesn't score, this series is probably over. You know, I just don't think that Florida has enough to be able to come back again. Um, but I do think that this is a game that Vegas really needs to have because they really cannot afford to let this series go longer than it should. Um, so I do think that they win game five. Um, I think that Florida's best chance was in that game four. They just couldn't find the tying goal. Um, and then whatever you know, BS happened after the game, it's one of the things that does irritate me a little bit about Florida that it's like, 
at the end of every game they lose, there's always, you know, someone starting something. And it's just like, I don't know. I just feel like you lose a game, you lose a game. Get over it. Like, I kind of guess I don't understand what the whole, you know, point is of getting into scrums, getting in the goalie's face. And, you know, you saw it happen to, to the Bruins, you know, at the end of that game four. And it's just like, it, I don't know. It, I don't know. Something about that just rubs me the wrong way. But, you know, you got to give Florida credit. They played a great, played a great play, had a great playoff run. Um, and they're still alive. Absolutely. This is not a series that's over. I don't think, you know, I still think that they can make it a series, but I do think Vegas ends up winning. And yes, Bruce Cassidy winning the cup is going to, you know, spark a lot of, you know, I think delusional conversations about Bruce Cassidy um, and the Bruins. Um, and that's not really something I'm going to talk about much. You know, I've kind of said my piece about it, that the Bruins decided that it was the right time to fire him. I think it worked out, but it's not really, I think whatever he does in Vegas is independent of what the Bruins are as a team. That yes, maybe it does sting a little bit, but you can't sit here and pretend that they would like be winning the cup if Cassidy was still their coach. Um, so that's again all I'm really going to say about that, but uh, game five is Tuesday night in Vegas. So I think I'm going to yeah talk a little bit about the NBA Finals. That series is also three games to one uh, with Denver winning on Friday night. Game five is tonight in Denver. Nuggets can close it out. You know, this is again a series that I don't think is necessarily over, but I just think that the Heat have not been in this position the entire playoffs. They've kind of been, I don't want to say front runners because that's not the right term, but, you know, been ahead three to one against Milwaukee, ahead three to one against the, the Knicks, ahead 3 0 against the Celtics. This is a team that's built series leads. I don't know if they're going to be able to come back. I just think that. You know, Denver, the way that they looked in those two games in Miami, just very clearly the better team. You know, and I think Miami, they've played a good series, but it's just the way that, you know, Murray and Jokic are controlling the game, you know. And then you look at game four, the two of them didn't really have, like, great games by really any stretch, but the game was won because of Bruce Brown and Aaron Gordon. And so it's just like, like, if I'm the Heat, it's like, what do you do when their two best players kind of have off nights, but they still win and they still win relatively easily. So I happen to think that the Nuggets close it out tonight um, at home. You know, I think that they've just been the better team. And I think that, you know, the Heat, they've had a great run, but I think it's not a team that's built to beat Denver. Um, and personally, I don't know if the Celtics beat Denver you know I think that they'd make it a series but I just think Denver's been the best team in the league they've been the best team really from start to finish in my opinion you know Jokic has been unbelievable obviously and I think you know really putting to rest those people that didn't feel comfortable giving him three MVPs in a row and it's like he's the best player in the world you know so I do think Denver wins I do think they win at home uh, be a great night for their franchise, hopefully. Um, but the Heat can still win, absolutely. But 
the way that Denver looked, especially in Miami, you know, in those big, you know, second halves in which they destroyed the Heat in the third quarter, you know, played fine in the fourth quarter, you know, that's kind of where the Heat have made their bones in these playoffs in the fourth quarter, and neither one of those games were games that they were able to win. You know, yes, they did win the last game in Denver, absolutely, and so can they do it again for sure. Uh, but I think Denver is going to be motivated. I think uh, Michael Malone has coached a really good game, a really good series. Um, so I do think Denver is going to win. Um, and so I think, yeah, the Nuggets did also get a trade done with Oklahoma City for a couple picks prior to game four, which was odd. I don't think I've ever seen a team in the finals make a trade like that, but you know, who knows? So we'll see what happens tonight. Game five on ABC at 8.30. So I think to close it out, give you some NFL thoughts. Uh, Saquon Barkley may not be reporting to the mandatory minicamp. Unsure if a new deal is going to get done with the Giants. Obviously, Hopkins will visit with the Patriots this week. The Vikings... Uh, releasing Dalvin Cook after they were unable to find a trade partner. So be interesting to see where he ends up. Uh, the Broncos are signing Frank Clark to a one-year contract. And uh, Bryce Young has been elevated to uh, QB1 for the Carolina Panthers. And so Patriots, obviously, opening up the mandatory minicamps. Other teams will be as well. So I think to close it out, I'll give you some baseball thoughts. Um, Andrew McCutcheon for the Pirates recorded his 2,000th hit um, against the Mets yesterday. And ironically, the Mets was the team that he got his first hit against. So a little bit of, you know, a little little interesting tidbit, tidbit there. Uh, Shane McClanahan for the Rays won his 10th game yesterday. Becomes the Major's first 10-game winner. Um, and this was also crazy. Uh, if you would notice this, I think this was Saturday. Uh, John Sterling, Yankees radio broadcaster, uh, was hit by a foul ball um, in the ninth inning from Justin Turner and continued to broadcast the game. Um, that is, yeah, probably one of the craziest things I've ever, I've ever, um, I've ever seen. So, like, saw the video. If you haven't heard. The video or watch the video you should go check it out it's pretty crazy um as he was hit uh yeah with a foul ball you know go always gotta always gotta pay attention to the game there so um we'll take a look at some standings yeah take a look at some standings so um al east tampa bay Way ahead of everybody, five and a half games ahead of Baltimore. The Rays are 48 and 20. Um, then obviously the Red Sox in last at 33 and 33, 14 games out of first place. Three games behind the next closest team, which is Toronto. Uh, Minnesota is in the lead in the central with the identical. And I, the, the, the identical record to the Red Sox at 33 and 33. So they are in first place. 
the Red Sox will take on the Twins next week. So the Twins have a game and a half lead over the Guardians. In the American League West, Texas continues uh, to set the pace with a great start they've had. They're 41-23, and 23, five games ahead of second place Houston. In the National League East, the Braves are atop the division 40-25 and 25, with a three-and-a-half game lead over the Miami Marlins, who are 37-29, and 29, eight wins in their last 10. The Pirates are in first place in the Central, 34-30, and 30, with a one-game lead over the Brewers. And then the Diamondbacks in first in the National League West, 40-25, and three-and-a-half games up on the Dodgers. The Rockies are in last, um, actually the worst record in the National League, so Red Sox will be taking them on uh, for a three-game set starting tonight. So I think, I think that's probably going to do it for me. Uh, good to be back with you folks this week. Um, you know, if you have not checked out the mailbag uh, from last week, you can go listen to that. Uh, no Guest Friday this week again, but we will be back next week. Uh, Matt Plew will be back. We'll be doing a NBA draft preview and probably talk a little bit about the offseason, uh, maybe do a you know recap of the playoffs, what have you. But it'll be great to have Matt back, so you can look forward to that next Friday. Obviously, we'll be back next Monday with another episode. Um, so yeah, you know, as always, listen to the pod on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, you know, Facebook, Twitter, latest updates. And yeah, just let me know, um, you know, any questions you guys have that you ever want me to answer on the podcast or, you know, like and rating and all that sort of stuff. Um, so we'll talk to you folks next week.